0: Brought to you by the power of the internet and fueled by imagination. This is Game Night Heroes. We toss dice and tell stories. The deeds of heroes await and legends dare to be heard. This is Game Night Heroes. Hello, and welcome back to the Game Night Heroes. We are the Game Night Heroes, and you can be too. I am Kevin, the host and the Dungeon Master for the Game Night Heroes, and we are going to be continuing our adventures in Freeport for 5th Edition Dungeons & Dragons. We are going to be telling a collaborative story, my fellow players and I, and we are going to be having the story determined by dice rolling. Before we begin our pirate-based antics, I'd like to go ahead and have my fellow players introduce themselves. Go ahead, guys.
1: Hey, everybody. My name's Rob. I'm going to be playing Victor Reed.
2: And I'm Colleen. I'm playing Iridanza.
1: I'm Aaron, and I'll be playing Arden.
3: And I'm Brittany, and I'll be playing Nisha.
0: Absolutely. As I said before, I am Kevin. I get to play as the Dungeon Master for the campaign. And that means that I get to play as everyone and everything else. So, let's dive back into Freeport, the city of adventure.
2: Previously on Game Night Heroes.
0: Having attempted to locate the artifact necessary to be the companion piece to the trinket that adorns Victor's Blade. Our heroes were unsuccessful in locating the gem in time. Now they have made their expeditious retreat to the Temple of Knowledge in hopes to save the temple from the clutches of the Brotherhood of the Yellow Sign. Once there, they have found that the Brotherhood is deep within a ritual of dark magics, of mortal danger, and of earth-shattering consequences. For now, in the midst of this battle, the fate of the Temple of Knowledge may be decided. Our heroes have fought valiantly and acted decisively, but one of our heroes finds the grip of death and the end of his journey coming all too closely upon the heels of discovery. Our tale now resumes. Arden, you feel the mind whip lash out towards the head cultist again. And like before, you can feel it connecting with this form, but it's not taking hold the way that you would suspect that it would. If you could, please make a wild magic surge check for me. Oh, it's a one. That means we have a wild magic go off. What did you roll? A 91. Ninety-one. Okay. Good to know. Arden, you feel your body tingle for a moment. And that seems to be the only effect that you seem to have notice happen. Huh. All right.
1: So that's my turn.
0: Okay. Egil continues to stand on the desk, and he yells, "'Brothers! Resist this!' He seems to be yelling towards the brothers in the semicircle up near Theron. "'We must help our high priest!' We must help each other! The light of knowledge will get us through this night! And with that, the serpent people continue to move in towards all of you. The three surge forward towards you, Arden. They all three come at you with snapping jaws and spears leading the way. One of them with a spear comes at you with an 18 to hit. Oof, yep, that's a hit. The other two, they split around you and each flank you, one on either side of you as that third one begins to come straight at you from the front. As the one hits you with an 18, the one that moves to your other side hits you with a 19. Oof. Oof. And the one who comes straight at you gets a natural 20 for a 25. Uh Uh-oh. You are going to take, from the one on your right, 9 points of piercing damage. From the one on your left, 5 points of piercing damage. And from the one directly in front of you that got the natural 20 and the critical hit, 18 points of piercing damage.
1: Oh, okay. So I'm at negative 8.
0: Oof. Okay. As these three serpent creatures move up towards you and they surround you, the one stabs you with the spear and pins you to the ground. Another one takes his spear and runs it straight through your chest. And that third one who comes forward takes a spear and he runs it through your chest as well. The rest of the party, you watch as Arden, surrounded by these three, falls limp, impaled on their three spears. They all three rip the spears out and he falls into a bloody crumple on the ground between all three of them. You can tell from the way he falls that this is not something he's getting back up from. There's a brief moment where time seems to slow as the three of you watch as your halfling companion falls. Quite clearly dead to the floor of the atrium. But as he hits the ground, a red smoke splashes around him and sifts forward, hitting the feet of the serpent men who just dropped him and cycling up through their bodies. And just as quickly as he fell, you watch as much as he did earlier when he revealed to you all your connections. He begins to float up off of the floor into the air between the three serpent men. All three of them drop dead to the floor around him as his eyes suddenly flash open, burning with a red-hot energy. Arden, you're fine. The wild magics have protected you from death this night. Because that is what happens when you roll a 91. If you die any time within the next minute, you immediately come back to life. I'm not even joking. <laughs>
1: what? You know, it probably would be a good idea if I actually looked at what those <laughs> searches do.
0: hmm it's, it's more fun, though. Mm-hmm. And as the red energy pulsates around the three serpent men, Arden, you float there for a moment. You look out, and some unseen current whips your hair about. Your clothes billow in some sort of strange unseen force. And you look up, and you lock your gaze on the head cultist. Iridanza, there are still two Serpent people upon you. They're going to attack you. One is going to get a 7. The other is going to get a 14.
2: Miss and match hit.
0: Okay. The one who hits you is going to do 4 points of piercing damage. Okie The one that Nisha was fighting moves in and follows her towards the front desk. But in his excitement, he sees that Victor is there. And he attacks you, Victor, with a 18 to hit.
1: That's a miss. My AC's 19 currently.
0: Nice. He swings the spear at you. You bring your longsword up, and there's a flash of that icy blue energy as it flashes through the atrium, and you knock his spear aside. Another guy who was in front of you, Victor, is going to attack you with a 12, which is going to miss. And then there's another one on your other side, Victor, who tries to come in towards Egil. You will get an attack of opportunity against him.
1: Awesome. I got a 15 to hit. You certainly do.
0: Thirteen points of damage. He tries to move past you and jump up onto the desk to get Egil, and as he jumps up off the floor, your longsword slices him clean in half. And now it's your actual turn, Victor. You look away from Arden floating in the air, some sort of unkillable being now. Perhaps there is something to him being the Chosen One, as he told you on the deck of Scarbelly's ship.
1: Huh. Neat. I want to move, and then I want to try to cast the spell Shatter, which is a 10-foot radius sphere. They need to make a constitution saving throw. Okay. A 12, a 10, and an 11. All right. They are going to take 11 points of thunder damage
0: each. Ooh, okay. Okay.
1: And any non-magical objects that aren't worn or carried also take the damage in the spell area.
0: Victor, you move out of the range of the three serpent men that are surrounding you, and you jump and roll up over the desk next to Egil. You land on the other side, and you take the flat of your sword, and you slam it into the desk as hard as you can. And there is a ripple of sound that pulsates out of the desk towards the three serpent men that were surrounding you. Across each of their forms, there is a distinctive pop, pop, pop! And all three of them fall to their knees, clutching at their ears, as you see that blood is now trickling down the sides of their heads. Apparently, you've popped out their eardrums. The desk shatters and explodes from the impact of the sound between you and the Serpent Men. The lead cultist looks at Theron, and he begins to say something in a language that none of you understand. Rileyah Falangawashio What the you Valoso And then he takes that strange serpent shaped dagger and slices at the throat of the other young man to his left. One of the brothers, his throat slit, crumples. Thuron begins to grit his teeth and try to stand his ground from whatever sort of arcane assault he's taking right now. You can see his skin and his hair start to move and shift as if something is having some sort of unknown effect on him. You know you don't have very much time left. Iridanza, the three serpent men directly behind you that were attacking Victor all are on their knees, clutching at their heads. There is another one directly in front of you, however, who is a little bit more pressing at this point. What do you do?
2: Oh, well, I guess I'll attack the one that's still standing. A 24 to hit.
0: Yes, ma'am, that will.
2: That is. 13 points of damage.
0: Okay. You take the magical spear and you stab it through the guy's face and it comes out the back of his head. You twist it and wrench it free and one of your ancient racial enemies falls dead at your feet.
2: That is it for my turn.
0: Okay. Nisha.
3: All right. I'm going to attack the guy that's in front of me and I'm assuming since he's clutching his ears that I get advantage on him, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. I will attack him. With a 24 to hit. Definitely. And that will be 11 damage.
0: Okay. You take the psychic blade and you jam it into the side of his temple, and he goes limp and falls dead to the ground.
3: I'll just stay where I'm standing, and since I can throw my psychic blades, attack the guy that was next to him in the right.
0: As you stab the one in the temple, your psychic blade dissipates, but you form another one in your main hand, and you throw it underhanded straight towards the other one.
3: 22 to hit. It will. Okay, and then 15 damage.
0: It takes him in the upper chest and knocks him off of his feet. He twitches once and does not get back up. Arden, floating amongst the three serpent men surrounding you, they stand there in awe and surprise looking at you, not entirely sure what they're seeing. What do you do?
1: All right, real quick. Uh, Yes. New body, do full health points. Yes. Okay, then do spells reset, or...
0: I'll adjudicate it, then it restores you. I will say that all of your spells and all of your life comes back.
1: Okay, so what I'm going to do with this group around me is I'm going to cast Thunder Wave. Okay. I'm going to, at the same time, use one of my Sorcery Points to twin spell that, so I'll cast it twice. Alrighty. Alright, so DC 14 Constitution save...
0: Alrighty. All three of them failed, because the highest any of them rolled was a 13.
1: Oh, wow. Alright, so they'll each take 12 points of thunder damage. Well, here's second one. Okay.
0: One of them rolls a 7, one of them rolls a 5, and the last one rolls a 22. So, go ahead and roll the damage again.
1: Yep, that's 13, so he'll only take 6 for passing. Okay.
0: Arden, you just flex your body, and the sound ripples out, a sound burst out in all directions around from you. The red energy glows about the chamber and slams into them. And as the three of them fly back off of their feet, getting buffeted by some unseen forces, two of them die, getting forced onto the ground, pulverized as if beaten by a hammer upon an anvil. The third one, however, does barely manage to stand his ground. A look of fear does wash over his features. Is that for your turn?
1: Yep, that'll be everything for my turn.
0: Normally I would have you do a wild magic check for those spells, but I'm not going to have you re-roll. Rate right this moment.
1: Hey, sounds good.
0: Egil stands there, holding the light of knowledge above him, and he says, Show fortitude, brothers! We will make it through this! He seems to be yelling to the brothers, who are being sacrificed in whatever ritual it is that they're doing to Thuron. There's only a few remaining Serpent Men that you can immediately see. One of them is directly next to you, Iridanza, and he presses the advantage against you. You do see that he hisses at you. Your people and his people have a deeply seeded hatred, so he is definitely going to be attacking you. A 17 to hit.
2: That will hit.
0: He takes his spear and he jams it into your hip. You take four points of piercing damage. And then he does try to press the advantage and tries to bite you. With a natural one, he gets a six.
2: He bites himself.
0: <laughs> he bites out at you, but you deflect his face away. You take the back end of your spear and swing it up like a bow staff and crack him across the jaw. You could just roll a d4 and divide it by two.
2: Two points of damage.
0: All right. Victor, about 20 feet away from you, one is still engaged in combat with Iridanza.
1: I'm going to rush forward and try to slash at him with my longsword.
0: Okay. Oh boy, that is a nine. You rush forward with the longsword, and you swing it up, and he moves out of the way. That sinewy, quick movement, like a snake, and you do miss him.
1: Then I think I'm going to use Healing Word on Iridanza. Okay. So she
0: is going to heal six points.
2: Yes. Thank you.
0: Very good. The head cultist continues to mutter and gesture in whatever this language is and he slices the throat of another brother. He steps forward into the circle of dead bodies, he grabs Theron by the front of his dark blue cloak, and he pulls the dagger back as the blood streaks up out of the brother and goes into the blade. The head cultist looks down at Theron, and he speaks in a low tone that the heroes cannot hear. But we hear, Your treachery will not go unabated. Your blood will fuel the wrath of the Unspeakable One.
2: I attack the guy directly in front of me with my spear. He's also the one that I have the Hunter's Mark casted on. You got it. Natural 20, so 27 oh, yeah. to
0: hit. Yes, ma'am.
2: And that is 8 plus 15 is 23 points of damage.
0: Holy smokes. You take your spear, and you jam it into his throat, and it twists and severs his head from his body.
2: Perfect. I'm going to move my Hunter's Mark onto the Lead Cultist.
0: You pull the magics that you used to hunt your quarry, and you settle it down upon the Lead Cultist. Nisha.
3: All right, Nisha is going to attack the guy that's in front of Victor with her psychic blade. With a 22 to hit. Oh, yeah. That will be 12 damage.
0: Okay. Your psychic blade streaks forward and slams into him, barreling him off of his feet. He's dead before he hits the ground.
3: And then I'm going to move up in front of me, and I will throw a psychic blade at the guy that's in front of Arden. Okay. Hopefully, and kill him. With a 26 to hit.
0: That will hit.
3: So 9 damage to him.
0: Alrighty. You jump up and spin through the air, releasing the psychic blade at the last moment. It streaks forward and takes this guy as well. Arden.
1: Oh boy. As I transcendently hover in air, I shall target the lead cultist before he kills another one of the brothers. So I will attack... If I can, using the Tides of Chaos to actually get that advantage on the attack. You got it. So now I'll cast a Chaos Bolt in that second level. And I'll also use a Sorcery Point, the Twin Spell It. So this first one, 20 the hit. Definitely hits. All right, so he will take 18 points of damage. Right. And then for the second one, a 25 the hit. It will. Another 18 points of damage.
0: Okay. So Arden, you float across the room, and you feel the wild magic energies stronger pulsating through you. You gesture, almost as if swatting away a fly or an irritant bug of some sort, and a chaos bolt streaks out of your right hand, lobs through the air, and slams into the back of the lead cultist. He seems to be interrupted from whatever energies that he was channeling to try to destroy Theron. The sigil flickers for a moment as if it's about to disappear, and he turns to regard what creature would attack him with such a powerful spell. The second chaos bolt comes out of your eyes, streaks forward through the atrium, and slams into his chest. Barreling him backwards, he falls down to his knees. Thuron's form ripples again, but he manages to grit his teeth. He also falls to his knees as the sigil begins to flicker about him. You do seem to have managed to have saved the brothers. For now,
1: Victor. So I'm going to move forward and then I am going to cast Hex upon the head honcho. So he'll have disadvantage on ability checks made with constitution. Okay. So then I'm going to cast Eldritch Blast. A 25 to hit him. So he will take a total of 15 damage, 9 force, 6 necrotic.
0: Victor, you press the advantage formed by Arden, and you channel through the sword. You feel the Eldritch energy ripple across the blade. The Eldritch Blast streaks forward, hits the lead cultist square in the chest, knocks him down the rest of the way to the floor, and you watch as part of his cloak begins to singe and burn away, revealing his full serpent form. He screams in pain, as the white-hot, Icy blue flames lick about his body and burn him to cinders. Arden, you float for just a moment longer before resting onto the ground. The glowing of your eyes dissipates for a moment and fades. There is a moment of calm that washes over everyone as the fight comes to a close. That yellow sigil continues to burn in the upper part of the atrium. It flickers once, twice, a third time before winking out of existence and disappearing. Nisha and Arden, in a way that you can't possibly describe to the others because they haven't felt the things that you have felt, you feel a presence leave the atrium, forcefully rejected out of the Temple of Knowledge because whatever ritual they had started was disrupted. You all see as the brothers who were kneeling upon the ground around where Theron now is, down on the ground, Holding himself, he seems to be in pain. His head lowered before him. The brothers all start looking around as if coming out of some sort of fugue state or some sort of strange spell. They seem to have their senses about them once more. And you notice that Thuron slowly looks up to regard everyone in the temple around you all. His features, however, are no longer those of the wizened middle-aged man that you have come to know. Thuron's features have been replaced with scales and the Ophidian head of a serpent person. His true form revealed. He looks up to regard the four of you who have saved the Temple of Knowledge this night, and he says, I believe it is time that we have a conversation. I believe it is time that you will learn everything. Come, friends... Let us speak plainly about what has happened this night.
2: Speak plainly? You're one of them!
0: I can understand that perhaps you are a bit distressed, Lady Iridansaw, but allow me to fully explain who I am and what I hope to accomplish. And perhaps I can assuage your fears.
2: You have one chance, and only one chance.
0: He looks at you, and the look upon his face, the finality of your words, you can definitely tell that he knows that you are serious, and he knows that whatever he does next will have to be done properly. He looks about the chamber and notices the fallen brothers and the several that are coming out of the areas where they were hiding off to the sides to escape from the carnage that was the attack by the Brotherhood. And he looks specifically past you all to see Egil, who is now descended off the top of the front reception desk. He steps over the body of Brother Norton, slain upon the Brotherhood's entry into the temple.
3: No. Poor Norton.
0: Yeah. And he shakes his head. Tears fill his eyes. He looks to the man he believed to be Theron. All of this could have been avoided if you had told us what was really happening. Speak plainly, whoever it is you are. Theron looks about the chamber again, and he sees the horrified faces of all the brothers of the Temple of Knowledge, now looking at a stranger rather than a man that they called their leader, their father figure. He slowly gets to his feet, he looks for a moment at the dead servant person, cultist, who just a moment ago was attempting to take his life, and a look of shame falls over his features. He looks up to regard all of you, staring at him once again, and he says, Perhaps if we go to a place a bit more calm, we could have a discussion. I believe the brothers have suffered enough. And he turns and he begins to make his way towards where the office of the high priest is, And as he gets about four or five steps away from the door, you all notice that several of the brothers step to block his path so he cannot enter. One of them, you remember, Brother Barnabas, specifically has a very stern look that he gives this man, this serpent person revealed. And the man that you knew was Theron looks away in shame and defeat again. He turns, and he makes his way towards the front door of the Temple of Knowledge.
2: With spear drawn, I follow.
3: Nisha will follow as
1: well. I'll follow. I guess I'll follow
0: too. The four of you make your way outside, behind the man that you once knew as Theron. And you actually see that Brother Egel steps in to match pace with you. As he does so... You all see that outside, at the base of that fountain that is in the center of the temple district, the man who was Theron has resumed that form again in the time it took you to catch up to him. It would seem he does not want whoever else might be outside to see him as one of the serpent people. And so it's a bit strange when you all step out there. When you all come up behind him, he runs his hands along the wet facade of the fountain. And he sits down on the edge of it, as if a great weight is being lifted off of his shoulders. He lowers his eyes again. Here I must make my confession to you all. I have lied. It is true. I went astray for the best of reasons, but nonetheless I went astray. I can only swear to you that I had no part in the demise of Theron, High Priest of the Temple.
3: How did he die?
0: I do not know. All that I know is what my part in this story is. So I shall begin at the beginning, and hopefully that will be enough for you. As we have seen, I am not Theron. My name is Castalo. I am the last priest of Yig, god of the Velocins. He looks for a moment in the water, as if he's seeing some distant memory dance across its surface. The Brotherhood were not the only serpent people to survive the destruction of Valossa, with their intellects intact. Yig had preserved some of his faithful in the farthest corners of the world. But evil, and stupidity perhaps, have greater attraction over the centuries than does peaceful worship. Many of my number reverted to simple animals, or worse yet, they joined the Brotherhood. Several years ago, a man came amongst me and my people, and he looks over to the cart where Lucius' unconscious form lies next to Passalor. He says, Lucius found us, during his wanderings, in a small mountain village far to the north of this island. I realized that the knowledge that he had accumulated might be able to lead us to closer communion with Yig. It was an understanding of the divine that has all but faded away over the centuries. So I made a bold choice. I followed him during his search. And eventually, I followed him home. I followed him to Freeport. I slipped into this temple in human guise one evening to look through the scrolls that he had brought back from his wanderings. and While I was searching, I discovered the High Priest dead at his desk. And at that moment I made a very fateful choice. Perhaps not a wise one, or even a brave one, but one that made the most sense. I took his place, and I devoted myself to the study of the scrolls. <sighs> I should have spotted Milos at once, and the treachery that he had, the purposes that he had for the Temple of Knowledge, but I was too engrossed in the work. When I learned of your adventures with the Brotherhood, I should have abandoned my charade, I should have told you who I was, but I was too greedy for the knowledge. Now I will render to you the only service that I can, far too little far too late, I hope not. I have learned in my time in the Temple of Knowledge that there is a great danger in the city of Freeport, and that its clutches drift all the way to the top of its hierarchy. I have learned that the Sea Lord himself, Milton Drac, is a member of the Brotherhood of the Unspeakable One, and that he has dark plans for the city indeed.
3: Do you know what those plans are?
0: It would seem that, based upon what I have heard, you have discovered, what Egil has told me as he was told in the ramblings of Lucius, that he plans on revealing the full power of the Unspeakable One to the masses here in Freeport, that he somehow plans to summon the Dark God. He plans on completing the ritual that destroyed my home. 2,000 years ago. This must not happen, he says, with a real look of determination. I watched as my civilization fell, and I could not stand to see that happen again. If they are successful in completing the ritual, and their dark deity comes forth, to bathe Freeport in its madness. No one will be safe. No one will survive. He looks right at you, Iridanza, and he says, I do not believe I have to tell you how important it is to preserve every life that we can.
2: I'm just going to nod at him.
0: You will forgive me, Sedarin, for the treachery against you especially. I am aware that my people and yours have a convoluted past.
3: So how do we stop this ritual?
0: I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I'm not entirely sure what exactly the ritual is going to undertake and when exactly it is to be performed, or where, for that matter. It would have to be a place of great power, a place of great dedication to the dark, unspeakable one. A place where the unspeakable one's yellow sign could reign supreme. I assumed that perhaps it was in the old city, or perhaps even at the Sea Lord's palace itself, but a place like that would be too easy for anyone to stop. The lighthouse.
3: That's what I was thinking too.
0: (laughs) He just looks at you for a moment, and you see Something pass in his gaze, a look of respect that he gives you, as if you figured out a great puzzle's answer that he could not figure out himself.
1: It all makes sense. Think about it. He's been spending all of Freeport's money on building this lighthouse. When we visited the lighthouse, there was serpent folk all over, and I just could feel the cursed energy of the unspeakable one all over that island.
3: And then I was attacked by the unspeakable one there, and almost died.
0: I would perhaps like to learn more of this tale, of what exactly befell you at the lighthouse. I know it was briefly brought to my attention before, but any answers that you might be willing to trust me with may be answers that I could use to perhaps figure out how to stop what is happening. It is a shame I... Any other of my brothers to the north would take perhaps too much time for us to find and to bring down here to answer more of the questions. So unfortunately we do not have the benefit of any other sages within the city who might know as much about the Velocin Empire as I would.
1: Do you by chance know anything about a yellow stone? He looks at you.
0: A yellow stone?
1: Not precisely. Well, we were down in the Arkham shipping lanes and we found a chest. When I opened the chest, I discovered a yellow stone inside. And when I went to grab the stone, I was transported or having a vision. I'm not quite sure, but I'm pretty positive it was a meeting with the unspeakable one
0: he lowers his head and he says under his breath, After all these years, could they have possibly found it now? Found what? You seem to snap him out of something and he looks up to regard you. During the ritual that destroyed Velosa millennia ago, there was an artifact that was used to try to summon and bind the deity to this material plane. An amulet, I suppose you could say, that had a gem of this color, of this purpose. It was thought destroyed when the ritual ceased to work, however. If they could have found it all these years later, it could be something that could turn the tide in the potentiality of whether or not the ritual is successful. Where is the stone now?
1: I do not know. When I came to, it was gone. Hmm. That does not bode well if it is the
0: stone I am believing it to be.
1: Do you know what its connection is to this? And I show him my sword and the Ouroboros.
0: He stands up really abruptly, and he looks at the trinket and then to your face and back to the trinket again. And you can tell that he's quite shaken by what he sees. Where did you find that? I
1: found it in a cave on the island of Towick.
0: That is a cursed item. One that precedes the fall of Velasa. During the time when the Brotherhood of the Yellow Sign was trying to summon their dark deity, they created an item that could amplify the magical powers of the priests of their cult. This item was said to have the combined power of both lines of the serpent people in it. If one could harness and channel this artifact's powers that they could use it to summon the Dark God, and could perhaps even use the Dark God's powers themselves. If this is... that, and he looks at it almost with horror, then you are in quite a bit of danger carrying it around, young man. So... if it could summon him, could it also destroy him? He looks to you. I don't believe I would begin to understand the answer to that, but in time, perhaps I can.
1: Well, I guess it's better that it's in my hands and not in their hands.
0: Well, it's something that should be destroyed or perhaps locked away, not carried around as a trinket attached to a sword.
3: Well, it's come to handy thus far. It saved my life, so I think we'll hang on to it.
0: And
1: I don't really know a lot about trying to destroy magical trinkets. I'm not sure that that's a good idea. Unless you know of a safe way.
0: There were ways before, but they have been lost to my people.
1: I'm thinking I know a certain somebody who might have an answer. Especially when it comes to weirdly magical things. Hey, hey guys. Hey guys. What do you think? We go find my master and ask her about it. Um, I'd rather not. She's kind of scary. I know she is, but that's just a part of her charm.
0: Miss Kinkleberry did leave the temple rather abruptly. She had some business that she said she had to attend to with a business associate here in Freeport. I'm not sure she's the kind of woman who will be found if she does not want to be found. (laughs) She was he shudders for a moment. She was able to discern who I really was, and perhaps had plans for that knowledge. But if the four of you would trust me with this, I would like to aid you in whatever way I can. If the Brotherhood of the Yellow Sign is attempting to draw forth their dark deity into this world, we must work together to ensure that it is stopped. I assure you, Lady Iridanza, and he actually steps forward towards you?
2: I stare him dead in the eyes.
0: And then he kneels down in front of you and lowers his head. I offer you any chance that you feel is earned to... Take any sort of punishment against me that you wish. What my people did to yours those years ago is unforgivable. But know that I am not your enemy in this. I, one of the last of the Velocins, will stand next to you, one of the sadarin if you will have me be there. Or my life is forfeit now.
2: I do not trust you. I will never trust you, but I am willing to work with you.
0: He looks up at you. You can see that he has a look in his eye that maybe he wasn't sure how you were going to answer that. But he slowly stands. Well, there is much rebuilding to be done within the temple. I will do whatever I can in that regard as well. You're not standing one more foot in my temple, Theron. can't believe I just called you that, Egil says, behind all of you. You had forgotten he came out with you all, he was so quiet. But you all turn to look at the sheepish and young priest of the Temple of Knowledge, and what you do find when you see him is not the nervous and quiet young man that you all first met those months ago in Freeport. No, instead now you find a titan in a man's form. You see a man burdened with the knowledge that things that he expected to have happen have been upended. His way of life has been completely changed, and in that, he has a little bit of a dangerous look to him. Castalo nods as if he understands what Egil is saying. I will see that me and my brothers undo this danger that you have brought to us, and we will do it without you. And Castallo just looks down in shame again. Igel looks to the four of you and he says, well, One of you, please help me get Lucius inside. And he limps over towards his companion in the cart. What's that we what do?
2: Give one last stare down to this Theron pretender, and then I help Egil help Lucius. Of course.
3: Nisha will follow after. Um... Iridanza and Lucius, but she'll go to check on Passalor and see how he's doing, if he's conscious yet or not. Okay.
0: So the two of you make your way over behind Egel towards where Lucius and Passalor are in the cart. You do find the two men unconscious, and they are both still alive, which is good. And as you approach, you can see the Passalor is starting to gain his consciousness. He's starting to look around. His eyes flutter for a bit. He looks a bit confused. But when he sees you approach, he gets a weak smile on his face. No longer wolfish, this smile perhaps looks like a tired one. Oh, wolf. you have to forgive me. Apparently I needed to rest for a moment.
3: You <laughs> oh. well, got gassed with something uh, noxious that knocked you out, so I can't blame you for that. How are you feeling now?
0: Heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you, girl. And he takes a hand and he pats your hand in a mm-hmm. affectionate way that good uncle would. Did you manage to get the chest?
3: We did. But the item inside it disappeared, unfortunately. We we don't really know where it's at now.
0: I'd <sighs> hate to think that all of this was done for nothing.
3: Well, you missed out on a pretty epic battle where we killed some serpent people and stuff, so it wasn't quite for nothing.
0: Oh, damn it. He says <laughs> as you start to help him out of the cart. Arden, what are you doing during this?
1: I'm going to go up to the Natheoran and ask him. Hey, so when when you're like looking like a normal person, does, does your tail just like Turn invisible and accidentally knocking this stuff for like trip people, like how how does that work?
0: He gives you a very confused look. You can tell that no one has ever asked him this before, and he says, "There is quite a bit I could perhaps teach you, Arden, if you wish to know."
1: I I I guess I don't know how to take that, but I I'll I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up on that offer later there, bud, and I'll uh kind of walk away, but like take a step, like I'm stepping over something, you know, because I don't want to accidentally step on his tail. Absolutely. <laughs> wherever
0: it is. Absolutely. I love it.
1: <laughs> so we go to leave. Mm-hmm. Hey, Castallo, um, so it sounds like you uh, won't be able to stay here. Totally understandable, I feel like, by Brother Egel, He looks to you. I hand him one of my cards. I tell him, since you won't be able to stay here much longer, and I truly do believe you to be quite sincere in your approach, as much as it's hard to trust someone of your kind, I believe you to be true. So I'm going to give this to you. I want you to head to the Scholar's Quill, tell Desi that I sent you, and she'll probably be able to get you a room and I'm sure we'll be able to meet up for information to be able to take down the Brotherhood of the Yellow Sign.
0: He gives you a nod, one of sincere thanks. and He says, I thank you, Victor. It's not every day that I am shown such grace as what you have just shown me.
1: It's not a problem. Everyone deserves a second chance.
0: I'm sure they do. gives you a weak smile and he actually turns and he starts walking off probably in the direction of the scholar's quill
1: and then I'll turn and walk off let's probably stay at the temple actually yeah yeah then I figure we can help him with rebuild too while we're like resting and stuff
3: well and maybe like if we want to do any sort of like research we might be able to get access to their books or something too now at this point yeah
0: And with the temple safe for now and their allies close at hand, the four heroes make their way to beginning the next steps of the journey, of a time of rebuilding, of rest, and hoping that the darkest part of their journey is coming to a close. Wave Avenue is located deep within the Merchant District. Carefully tended trees and wrought iron lampposts line the boulevards there. Quaint storefronts display expensive foodstuffs and curios. Trim, tidy townhouses spill laughter and low whispers through their windows. And more often than not, they have a private guard stationed out front. Wave looks to the fanciest streets in the neighborhood. The homes have elaborate gardens, some large enough to contain gazebos and fountains. A few of the buildings even have coach houses, and the guards here look more expensive as well, much more discreet. At 100 Wave Avenue, the guards are further distinguished still. They all wear a simple emblazoned armband upon their left arm. and has a specific yellow V superimposed over a circle that designates them as Men and Ladies Chosen, protectors of the Head of the Captain's Council, Alistar Verlaine. On this night, the exterior of 100 Wave Avenue is calm and cool. Inside, however, is a different story. Our attention is drawn within, where in a sitting room, councillor Verlaine himself sits on a small settee. He wipes his brow and deeply begins to powder at his quite damp neck. His powdered wig sets nearby, and his bald pate is dripping with sweat. It was quite an ordeal escaping from the Arkham shipping lanes before it was destroyed by those interlopers, those men-women and that he sent out of the city, exiled for their miscreant activities. He is aware that such a thing should be impossible. No one touches Alistar Verlaine and manages to get away with it. And yet there they were, spitting in his very face. Nearby, his closest guard, Riker Lloyd, is a study in controlled frustration. He is not a man that rises to anger, but he is a man that knows how to use his inner rage to its best capabilities. The maroon-skinned tiefling His shoulders broad, and his brow furrowed, looks to his master. I believe you should go outside and make better use of yourself. Can you believe that those people assaulted me? What has this city come to? Nothing that you cannot fix, Master Verlaine. Lloyd spoke in return, and he meant the words. Verlaine smiled weakly at him. Oh, Rikert, you have always been my staunchest ally and my greatest supporter. I believe that if it were not for you and your good deeds, I may have given up all politics altogether years ago. What exactly have I done that has made it that you are so deft to give me your loyalty? Rikert Lloyd thought back to the time when he was a child, to the time when his skin bore him more than praise that this man gave him now. To a time where his appearance brought him much pain, indeed. You took me away from something that was unhealthy. You gave me a purpose. You allowed me to become your guard when others would not. And because of that, I owe you a debt of gratitude. I owe you my loyalty. Verlaine waved him away with a flick of his wrist. Oh, Lord! Go outside, make the rounds. Be sure that we are safe here. Who knows what else might happen? You sure you are all right, sir? Yes, of course. I simply need to collect myself. I will make a staunch report about this in the morning. We shall be sure to make sure that these four miscreants are properly dealt with. The sea lord himself has already looked into the matter and he also designates them as fugitives and problems to this city. He will be sure that they are dealt with very accordingly. Lloyd nodded. He understood one thing above all others, and that was the importance of justice. As the tiefling took his leave, Alistair Verlaine slowly and painfully got to his feet, his corpulent form giving him much difficulty. He crossed over to a small bar off to the side of the room, where he began to pour himself his greatest liqueur. This was a night that rewarded the very best. First, it would seem that the four individuals that he had left out of the city had discovered his plan to help fund the lighthouse. They also seemed to have learned of the shipment that recently came in on behalf of Entol, to be sure that the lighthouse was properly stocked with the proper brickwork. The fact that they attacked at the precise moment that they did meant that there was no other recourse. They must be dealt with very immediately. I must say, Verlaine, I'm quite impressed that you were able to actually get yourself a drink. In here I thought that man-severant of yours did everything. Verlaine nearly dropped the bottle upon hearing the voice behind him and he turned to see the small form. Good heavens! You just about gave me quite a death of a fright. Has anyone told you, Gavin Aetorus, that you should not sneak up upon men of council? The gnome curled his mustachios. I believe it might have been mentioned before, but I am not one for rules. Brain scoffed. (laughs) No, I suppose you are not. What are you doing here? Why are you not at the warehouse as we agreed? Well, something came up. I had to be sure that I was out of harm's way. Verlaine took a small sip of the liqueur. The fire cooled his chest all the way down. Do you believe that it worked? Verlaine spoke. It may not have been a question. Oh, yes, of course. But there's only one way to find out now, isn't there? Gavin had a wicked smile, and he brushed a finger mindedly across his Van Dyke-style beard. Shall we? He rose up off of the settee where he had seemingly magically appeared from the darkness around it to cross the room. They made their way to a small panel behind the desk in the room where Verlaine pulled aside a portrait, a tall, beautiful woman. He pulled the picture aside easily enough, revealing a small alcove behind, and within, a sight not too unfamiliar to these two men. A small, approximately two foot by two foot by one foot tall, blackly polished chest, a symbol emblazoned and carved into the front, that appeared to be some sort of three-tentacled octopus shape. Verlaine didn't care what exactly it was, but he knew it was important to the sea Lord and to the bricks that they had been filing in. By the day, Verlaine slowly rubbed a hand across its lid to think that exiling those fools led to them unearthing the chest beneath his warehouse. To think that the plans of Gavin would actually come to fruition. He slowly reached forward, and noticed something of the chest that was not there the last time he had checked, was not there the last hundred times he had checked, since Gavin A. Taurus had brought it to his attention. There was now a lid. He slowly reached forward, and with a deft flick of his pudgy fingers, opened the chest and looked within. At first there was nothing, but then a dim yellow light flashed once, twice, a third time, and in its place a small orb of sorts, a gem, highly polished and glowing with the same golden-yellow hue. It would seem that Gavin's plan to retrieve this gem had very much worked, after all. I must say, e. Taurus, Verlaine said as he slowly turned to smile at his small companion. I believe this is the beginning of a very great friendship indeed. He almost did not feel the pain in his stomach until the second or third blow. But Gavin e. Taurus was practiced with the use of a dagger. Verlaine's life was already forfeit. The large man fell first to his knees, and then to his side. He began to clutch at himself as he felt poisonous fire burn through his belly, his chest, his arms, his neck. He began to feel something dripping down the side of his face. He reached up instinctively to try to wipe it away. Blood. But not natural blood, no. Blood as black as tar. What... Uh, What have you done? He reached for the small man, who simply, with a laugh, wiped the blade clean on Verlaine's clothes. "'Hush now, Verlaine. This dagger is quite useful indeed. "'I have used it on many a time to dispatch those who I find to be tiresome. "'You see, it is very functional indeed.' The poisons imbued magically upon this blade makes anyone who was stabbed with it to be poisoned. Well, there is no cure, through magic or through mundane methods. On the floor Verlaine continued to spasm, his body racked with furious fire pain and death as it coursed through his every fibre. Oh no, no, no. It'll be over very quickly, Verlaine. I do suppose I offer you a bit of a thanks, however, Gavinatoris said with a smile. He leaned over, finally, to get close to the man's face. He seemed to enjoy watching him die. Why? 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 That is not a question that anyone would know an answer to. Know this, Verlaine. I have used this blade on, as I said, many who have angered or annoyed me, and I liked a great many of them much more than I like you. It even helped me slay a wolf. Verlaine spasmed again on the floor, and Gavin watched with a wicked smile as the life finally drained away from the large man. Then he crossed to the bar, poured himself a shot, and drank it quickly. He took another dagger from somewhere within his belt, and he sliced upon the front of his lapel, his shirt, ruining it in the process. It was a nice shirt, and had come all the way from the continent, but it was not nearly as important as the item within the chest. When the shirt was fully ragged the way that he preferred, he wiped a small vial of blood upon himself. And then he began screaming. In just a short amount of time, Reginald Lloyd, that tall, brusking man, found himself inside. He, of course, went to Verlaine first, found the rather large and fat man dead, before he turned his attention to Gavin. His eyes were fury, Gavin noticed. That's good. He could use that. What has happened here? Who has done this? Oh... Oh, it was terrible, Lloyd, but I saw them. Two elves, female, and a half-elf. There was a halfling as well. They ran out of here very quickly. If you can hurry, you may be able to catch them before it's too late. Lloyd's eyes narrowed. He knew exactly what for the man spoke of. There'll be other guards here soon. And he turned, and he bounded out the door. Gavin Taurus waited the appropriate amount of time before righting himself and standing upright. He did not look once at Counselor Verlaine. He crossed the room, climbed up a small stool to where the chest was hidden, and reached within to claim his prize. He knew no doubt that now would be the beginning of the end of his plan he had placed into motion. And Freeport would pay. This concludes Act 2 of the Freeport trilogy. There will now be a brief intermission. Thank you for listening to the Game Night Heroes. The tale continues another time. This was Freeport, Episode 20 Knowledge is Power. Please subscribe and give us a review. It helps new listeners find us and take the journey along with you and with us. We can be found on all social media at game Night Heroes. Please be sure to follow us for updates and for new information. We can also be found at GameNightHeroes.com The Game Night Heroes is hosted and game mastered by Kevin Stacey. Victor Reed is played by Rob Alexander. Irodonzo Orame is played by Colleen Alexander. Arden Langalar is played by Aaron Regner. Nisha Lykoania is played by Brittany Stone. The Freeport Trilogy was created and published by Chris Premus and Green Ronin Publishing. Logo design and podcast cover art for the Game Night Heroes was created by Josh K. Music is from various artists and appears from Pixabay. Please feel free to message us at Game Night Heroes Contact at gmail. We'd love to hear from you. This has been a presentation of the Game Night Heroes. Until next time, keep dreaming your impossible dream.
1: The only thing that we're missing out on is Desi's sweet, sweet cooking. That's true. Mm -hmm.
0: It's sweet cooking, it is indeed. Costello's really got his work cut out for him, it's going to be great.
1: We're going to send Arden over there to go get food and come back. (laughs) He'll be our door Yeah, so you you send him on food runs. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. That's probably a bad idea because I'll eat it all by the time. That's right.
2: (laughs) This is true.